You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. In this episode, we will be hearing from Vicky Youngson, Head of Wellbeing at Friends of Anchor, as well as finding out about charitable support that came from the North Sea, and also the story behind The One with the Ducks. We start, though, by hearing from Erica Banks about a record-breaking gala golf event in September and a further batch of varied and impressive fundraising endeavours that are happening this month. Well, the biggest update from September happened on possibly one of the most gloriously sunny days we ever could have had for our gala golf event. And that was a record breaker. So we had a totally back to back day of golfers during the tournament and a sold out dinner at the Chester Hotel at night. And um, yeah, it was great. Really, really enjoyable day and record breaking fundraising sum as well. £137,000 was raised on the day. Wow, that's brilliant. It's, uh, yeah, by far a record. So we're really grateful to everyone who's made it possible. Our golfers and guests, the sponsors, the suppliers, the volunteers who were there on the day, the prize donors, the auction bidders. There's a lot of people that go into an event like that. And we're really grateful to everyone for their support. Brilliant. And what a great way to celebrate. Was it the 25th running of it or 21st? No, so it turned 21 this year. So all it's growing up, it's officially 21. So it was really nice because we had a couple of new initiatives in the mix, like Beat the Pro at one of the holes. Mm. And I mean, I say this like I pretend like I know anything about golf. (laughs) I'm totally, totally clueless. Were Um, you not participating? No, no. I don't think any teams would thank me for having had me lumped in their (laughs) team. I would have definitely been a detriment. Well, that sounds a great way for that particular event to come of age. And I think the fundraising is going to continue into this month. Yeah, we've got some really wonderful shout outs for October. So as ever, good luck and thank you so much to anyone who's doing anything to fundraise for Friends of Anchor. We always really like to know about these things in advance wherever we can. Occasionally, we find it retrospectively that someone's done a fundraiser, which is always really nice to hear about what they've done. But this is what we know is coming up in October. We've got a couple of fundraisers taking on the half marathon in the Great Scottish Run, Paul and Way. And I've heard that it's a really, really good event with an amazing atmosphere. It's not one I've ever run before, but good luck to them both. You just casually drop that in. How many half marathons have you run, Erica? (laughs) I have run one. (laughs) That counts. uh, That that counts, yeah. Definitely. I think it's all about atmosphere with stuff like this. And the the Great Scottish Run's in Glasgow, so I think people really line the streets and there's lots of cheering and music and that definitely spurs you on. So I'm sure it'll be appreciated, the crowd support on the day. Brilliant. And uh, wishing a very happy birthday to one of our Courage on the Catwalk models from last year, Fiona Christie, who's celebrating her 60th in October. Um, She's having a birthday party where there'll be some fundraising for Friends of Anchor, which is a very charitable way to celebrate your big birthday. So thank you, Fiona. On the same day as Fiona's 60th, Krista is holding a fundraiser at Inch Golf Club with raffles and music and games as well. So certainly hope that goes well. And then there's another marathon, well, a full marathon this time. So Rachel Mann and some friends are taking on the Yorkshire Marathon in the middle of the month. So I guess right now they'll be thinking about tapering and carb loading, which is the fun part of training for a marathon. <laughs> so I hope that's all going well. And bracing themselves for some hills, I imagine, if it's Yorkshire. Yes, of course. You're totally right. There'll definitely be some incline there. And then a totally different turn is the horror convention on the 21st of October at the Beach Ballroom. So... Okay, tell me about that. Well, the girls in the office wind me up because I quite like a scary movie and they do not like a scary movie. I'm with them. 
I do watch them mostly from behind my hands, but <laughs> we're one of two chosen charities for the event this year. So yeah, wonderful to get Friends of Ankerite to a new audience as well. And definitely a cool event for the horror fans. Obviously not one for the squeamish among us. And do people dress up appropriately for the I, occasion? I, I believe imagine they so. Do. I okay. think we'll see lots of fancy dress on that day, which is cool. And you are participating in that one or at least going along to watch? Oh, I think it would be a shame not to. And towards the latter end of the month, Cove Rangers FC are very warmly welcoming us in for a bucket collection around the stadium at one of their home games. And that's something that they've done for a good couple of seasons now. So it's great to have their continued support. And then throughout the month, Emma Smith is taking on 10,000 steps a day. So we obviously all know that that's a good goal to work towards. But anybody who has a desk-based job like I do knows how hard it actually is to hit 10,000 steps. Absolutely. Um, You know, I might walk to work and I still haven't hit 10,000 steps, which I think is totally ludicrous. So that takes a lot of effort because it means, you know, getting back from a long day in the office or at work and heading out for another long walk. Great effort all around. So wishing lots of luck to her and I hope she's got some very comfy trainers. That makes a difference. It does, yeah. And is that us or have you got anything else on your list for us this month? Well, that's us really for the month of October because I'm not going to share any service updates this time around because my listeners will very shortly be hearing from Vicky Youngson, our Head of Wellbeing, who will much more coherently be able to share about what we're up to in the anchor unit and in preparation for the anchor centre so I will leave that over with her. Brilliant well we look forward to hearing from you with an update and further news next month. Thank you for having me. So without any further ado let's hear from Head of Wellbeing Vicky Youngson who began our conversation by telling me about how she came to apply for her current role and what it entails. Hello, I'm Vicky and I'm Head of Wellbeing at Friends of Anchor and I've been in the role for almost three years. Next month actually will be my uh, three-year anniversary. I've always worked in the third sector, coming up for 20 years now. Uh, primarily I've worked for social care charities and there's so much fantastic work done across the third sector and it's something I've always found to be really rewarding. I think choose a job you love and it'll, it'll never feel like work. It's always been my motto. I remember when the job at Friends of Anchor was advertised and I had half a dozen messages people getting in touch to say, oh, you know, Vicky, have you seen this job? Or you'd be great at this, or you'd love this. So I had a read of the job description and, you know, I could have written it for myself. It just really was the perfect mix of being patient-facing and involved in service development, which I love, as well as being involved in working with the comms and the fundraising team. It's just the perfect job and I really feel still as lucky as I did three years on. That's really good to hear. And specifically, your role entails what? So my role as Head of Wellbeing, it's a fast-paced role, it's very varied, you know, no two days are ever the same and I love it. I lead and support the wellbeing team and have operational oversight of the wellbeing services and, and development. A lot of work at the minute involves the Anchor Centre service planning, which is really exciting. So I look forward to seeing all that come into fruition when the Anchor Centre opens. I'm involved also with the stewardship of ward and nurse funds and clinical enhancement projects. Most recently, I've been working on the refurb of the patient day rooms and the oncology and haematology inpatient wards, which I believe have been in the pipeline for a lot, a lot of years. Mm. So it'd be really fantastic to see that finish later this month and for patients to start benefiting from such a lovely space on the ward. So we're really grateful to our donors who've helped make that possible. Brilliant. That will make a difference. And your team are daily in the unit working alongside NHS staff in the clinical setting. How does that working relationship look? It's great. We all work really closely together and tirelessly to support patients and their loved ones. It's not always an easy job, so it's great that we can support each other and provide the best for our patients. We're really grateful to our NHS colleagues for the wonderful clinical care they provide, Mm. and they are equally grateful to have the support of Friends of Anchor to deliver that over and above piece. I think I'm biased, but we work really well together. I think we make a great team. 
Brilliant. And does that mean that during the day things might change just as a result of communication between your staff and NHS staff? Yeah, absolutely. We can plan ahead as much as possible, but our day changes from you know minute to minute depending on the needs of patients and priorities that come in. So yeah, we work closely together. We're fairly visible in the hospital now. The, the team's growing and we're contactable as well for those in other departments. And yeah, we just we just do our best. You're now back after COVID and normal services have been resumed. Is that right? Yeah, it was a great day when we returned to the hospital. I've never been made to feel so welcome. I think everyone was just so happy to see those red t-shirts back. I think when we move into the Anchor Centre, it'll really cement the already great working relationships that we've got, you know, as we move into the building together. And what new elements are you most excited about as far as the Friends of Anchor service in the Anchor Centre is concerned? It's hard to pick just one thing. I think extending our welcome teams will be really invaluable. Having that warm welcome from our volunteers, it's so appreciated already. A patient once said that having Friends of Anchor support was like being wrapped in a warm blanket. It's just such a great analogy that stayed with me and that's exactly what we want to ensure that that warm blanket feeling is felt from the minute they walk through the door. And that just makes such a difference if people are feeling welcomed like that. Oh, absolutely. The therapy team, they're super excited to get into the dedicated therapy room and provide treatments in a spa-like environment. We've worked really hard to make sure that the room looks and feels non-clinical, which will, I'm sure, be appreciated by patients. And we're fortunate to have the care we do up here in the northeast for wonderful staff and assume the facilities to match. What's the gap that Friends of Anchor steps in to fill to deliver that over and above piece to someone's clinical care? We are really lucky, you're right, Mike. I see myself every day, how hard they all work and the compassion that's shown to patients. I think Friends of Anchor are really fortunate in that we're based in the hospital. This allows us to, as you say, step in and deliver the over and above piece. We work together with our colleagues in the NHS and offer that full range of holistic care. I think the support's really evident in the inpatient wards, where our wellbeing team provide a lot of practical and emotional support there. We've got a team of therapists who also offer treatments across ARI to enhance patient experience. The support that resonates most for me is the end-of-life support. Our team don't have the same clinical demand on them, which means that we've got the time to just be there and help during these extremely difficult times. We do things like help to create jewellery and keepsakes for loved Mm. ones to cherish. And we have our Making Memories funding, which helps create special memories and experiences. We've helped facilitate things from weddings to vow renewals, birthday parties, lots of really special moments, which can be really rewarding, but also really emotional. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're bringing some light during the, the worst possible time. And yeah, it's really rewarding. And it really sounds as if it's not just a service that happens, it's a relationship that has has built up with many of these patients. Yeah, absolutely. We try to be there at every step of the way with patients. We've got our volunteers welcoming them every day when they come in for treatment. We've got the core team that are there Monday to Friday across all of the different various wards in ERI. And also across the northeast, we try to ensure that all patients, regardless of whether they're receiving their treatment at ARI in Aberdeen or if they're further afield or in the islands, that they too know that there's support available for them. There's a lot of support out there. It can be quite overwhelming, actually, when you try to seek out what support's there. And our latest recruit, Louise, our new anchor information and support advisor, she'll play a huge part in this when the anchor centre opens. She brings with her a lot of years' experience as a haematology CNS nurse and she'll be offering patients advice and support relevant to their needs because, like I say, we want to make sure that every patient across the North East knows that the support's there and that they're not alone. I think because we're based in the hospital, we feel partly responsible in ensuring that we know what support's out there so that we can signpost patients to the right place. And do you ever come across people who are a bit reluctant to have your services? 
how does that work in terms of encouraging that they, they might want to think about having some help? I'd speak as someone who is probably in that category when I was <laughs> undergoing treatment. Yeah, I think a lot of people are reluctant to accept help. I think sometimes as well, people think that someone else may be more deserving than they are. But once they see the team and like you say, that relationship starts to grow or they see other patients and they think, well, maybe missing out here. And the more you get to know people, the more you bring down those barriers and they're more likely to access support. And like we say, when we want them to access support from other agencies where we maybe can't help, the team will help with that. We'll often walk down to Maggie's and say, come on, we'll, we'll come with you. Let's go. Let's go have a cup of tea down at Maggie's Great. and see what they can do. And can you just summarise for us the team and tell us who all is part of your team? Uh, yeah, we've got a great team. There's myself and we've got our wellbeing support worker, Lisa, who most patients will know. She goes around every day and she hands out papers and she has wonderful conversations and she's a great support to patients. There's Always very cheerful. Absolutely. A signature smile for sure. She knows everyone and everything that goes on in the unit. And we've got our wellbeing coordinator, Jenny, who helps coordinate the services. She's fairly new in post. And again, she's hit the ground running in her role and she's doing great. We've got Denise, too, who coordinates and leads on our volunteers. As those support services and our volunteer teams grow, it's just fantastic to have Denise in the team. And she really does great things with the volunteers. She's a huge support to them and an intern to us in the team. And obviously Louise, who I just mentioned, who's our latest recruit and another fantastic addition to the team. We've also got our therapy team. So we've got Corinne and Lucy and Karen and Ruth, and they're all fantastic. They provide a great deal of support across the unit. And again, that friendly face and building relationships and knowing what supports there, it's fantastic. And I think the team are getting to the point where they're able to do a bit more just because capacity has increased. Yeah, it was just last month that we were able to celebrate having the full team back in and having that support Monday to Friday, which is great. It means that patients are getting seen much quicker and they can go back and see them again the next time they're in rather than having a long waiting list. It's been really good to have a full team again and great for them to have each other. You know, it's a support to one another as well. And I know you're passionate about staff well-being in the team as you see the daily stretch by your NHS colleagues and the dedication that they have to their roles. Why is it so important that donor money also goes to staff support? And what does that look like? Yeah, I am. I'm really passionate about staff well-being. As the saying goes, you can't give from an empty cup. It's really important that we ensure the staff receive well-being support too. At the end of the day, you know, it only benefits patients. I think many of our donors are, are really happy to donate to staff wellbeing as they're so grateful for the care that they themselves or their loved ones have received. And it's great to be involved in it. We offer things from staff yoga to mindfulness courses. We'll pop around on really hot days with icicles and we love to celebrate things, you know, special dates like International Nurses Day and partial to pizzas and cakes and, you know. I'm sure that's yeah. appreciated. Yeah. And I guess the highlight of the year is always the special visit and gift from Santa at Christmas. Sounds which good. Which was hugely missed throughout the pandemic. So we were all delighted last year when we got the green light to have Santa visit again. And our chairman was delighted to dust off the Santa suit. It's just so much fun. It really does just cheer everyone up. Fantastic. And they deserve it so Oh, they much. absolutely do. We try our best to ensure we look after the staff. They do such a great job in looking after everyone else. And yeah, they deserve a treat. And it's always so well received too. And maybe a slightly difficult question, but is there a standout moment for you from your time at Friends Vanka? It's hard to pick out one single moment. There's been so many. But I think the day that we returned to the hospital, like I said, after the pandemic was definitely a standout day for me. You know, after over two years of having no therapists or face-to-face -face wellbeing support, it was just such a warm welcome back. Our NHS colleagues were all delighted to see the red t-shirts again and our patients were, were so, so grateful to have it back too. I think we all smiled from ear to ear that yeah. day. Yeah. 
And I think more recently, hitting that two million target was another fantastic Just moment. Just amazing. For the whole team, you know, the fundraising girls have worked so hard to make that possible. And myself and the wellbeing team, we're really lucky. We get to see the day in, day out, the impact of that donor money. So I can only imagine how it's going to feel when the Anchor Centre doors finally open. I'm sure there will be tears. <laughs> I'm sure, but there'll be tears of joy and happiness. Oh, absolutely. And looking ahead a bit, do you have any particular thoughts about how the service will develop or what patients might be able to look forward to? I think there's going to be a lot of changes for Friends of Anchor. For us as a team, there's lots of new services going to be on offer. The therapy room will be offering specialised treatments and things. And I guess the refreshment area as well, although exciting, we're a bit nervous about that. It's completely new territory. And how will that work? What will that look like? We'll have a refreshment area there Monday to Friday providing hot drinks and snacks and things to save the long walk back up to the main area of the hospital. But I guess any nerves we've got are eased by having the support of our corporate partners on here. They'll be supporting us throughout the whole thing, ensuring that we've got the knowledge and skills and everything in between to provide the best service possible. We're really lucky to have them on board. Excellent. And anything else as far as the future is concerned and looking forward? I think, yeah, just having the space and the bigger team allows us to expand the support that's on offer. And that's the main goal, just making sure that we can do as much as we can to make sure that that journey for patients is as stress-free as possible. So they know that they're not on their own and that there's a lot of support there and a lot of people to help. And in terms of a message for a patient who's just coming in for treatment for the first time, what would you say for them to focus on? I think the key message I would always say is don't feel like you have to be brave. Don't be shy in asking for help. The more help that you get, the better. There's so much help out there. There's so much support. Just grab it all. Take it all and make this time as easy as possible. And yeah, let people help. In recent months, the From the Archives section of this podcast has been celebrating the contributions made over the years to the work of Friends of Anchor by communities across the northeast of Scotland. Given that Aberdeen has often been described as the oil capital of Europe, it is perhaps no surprise that support for the charity has not been exclusively land-based. Between summer 2008 and spring 2009, for example, the following donations were recorded. The Welfare Committee of the Nelson Platform gifted £250, while the crew of the Ninian Northern Platform raised £190 from a Christmas raffle. And £400 was given by the crew of the Balmoral Floating Production Vessel following nomination by Bargemaster Ken McNeil. So this month's message from the archives is that anyone creating a map of Friends of Anchor fundraising sites in the northeastern highlands and islands of Scotland needs to ensure that they include markers to denote locations in the middle of the North Sea. Moving on to our Finding the Words section, I am joined as ever by my wife, Alison. How are you, Alison? I hope that you are well. I'm fine, thank you, but I'm a bit suspicious about your sudden interest in my well-being. I take it that you have chosen something special as a theme for this month's instalment? Yes, in a rather exciting development, I thought that we would talk about ducks this time. Seriously? You do realise, don't you, that A, other people are not remotely as interested in ducks as you are, and B, your obsession with toy ducks, plastic ducks, rubber ducks, etc. is unhealthy and is a matter of real concern for the rest of the family. Well, yes, you have mentioned those points before, but in my defence, I would point out that the grandchildren absolutely love my duck collection. 
Yes, they do. But that doesn't mean that it is normal or helpful that every time they come around to visit, you go through the ritual of taking out various ducks, identifying each of them by name, and then end up exchanging quacking sounds with the children for some considerable time. What I want to know just now, though, is what relevance do ducks have to our finding the words discussion? So you'll remember that when I was on Ward 112 receiving chemotherapy treatment, I ended up with a number of ducks on display because family and friends kept giving me ducks. Yes, I remember that you accumulated a whole medical team of toy ducks as colleagues from school sent you a box containing nurse ducks and doctor ducks. It showed that they were thinking of you, but you have to admit it was a bit odd as well. Perhaps, but it meant a great deal to me, and I was amused when I found out that the nurses on the ward referred to me as the one with the ducks. Okay, so we've established that your hospital room became a duck shrine. But I don't see how that is relevant to our discussion about finding the words to talk about cancer. Well, first of all, it helped because it provided something else to talk about. Instead of coming in and immediately asking for a medical update, folk would arrive and say, My, you've got a lot of ducks which immediately put the visit on a lighter footing, which was great. And secondly, it was a bit like when, as mentioned in previous episodes, we started describing my illness as mental cell lymphoma and gave the drug-dispensing pump and its collection of metal rods the name Marvin, after the grumpy robot in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In a similar way, the ducks helped me to take a bit more control of the situation by changing the conversation so that it was more on my terms rather than being totally dictated by cancer and my circumstances. Hmm, you're going to have to provide a bit more of an explanation, I think, before I fully understand what you're getting at there. We'll see if this helps. In the first assembly that I took on my return to school, I wanted to say something about having been off for a while with an illness, rather than running the risk of giving the impression that it was something not to talk about. One of the points that I made was that I couldn't choose where I went or what happened to me, but I could choose what I took with me. And I had taken ducks with me. So, it's 8.30 in the morning, you're speaking to 400 teenagers who are still waking up, and you tell them about cancer and ducks. How did that go down? Honestly, I don't really know. I did get some feedback that it had been appreciated that I had spoken about being ill and being in hospital, but perhaps I was the only one in that assembly hall for whom the metaphor of taking my ducks with me actually meant something. But honestly, I'll take that. As strange as it may sound, it did help and it was important for me. I wasn't quite expecting that this is where we would end up in today's conversation, but thank you for those interesting thoughts, Mike. We will be back with some further reflections on finding the words next month. In the meantime, please do get in touch with your thoughts or feedback by emailing us at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. As a former English teacher, I was just getting into my stride in the previous item with that mention of metaphor towards the end. So I thought that I would extend that theme into this month's and finally slot. I have two metaphor-related references for you. In the first example, cancer itself is used as a metaphor, while in the second, it is the subject of the metaphor. In Paul Simon's brilliant lyrics for The Sound of Silence, he writes, Fools, said I, you do not know, silence like a cancer grows, creating a perfect word picture of the damage and harm that can be inflicted on relationships by a failure to communicate. Then, in a poem called Scorch, which was entered into a poetry competition a couple of years ago, Rochelle L. Colon writes about her experience of cancer using fire as an extended metaphor. 
She describes herself as a two-time survivor of breast cancer who, despite having known burning pain from radiation on the inside and agony in her heart and soul, always had, and continues to have, hope. For her, cancer is a fire that spreads, that burns, and is ferocious. It is a fire that can consume soul and spirit and can provoke a desire to burn and destroy. And yet, it is also a crimson blaze that can generate hope and a desire to heal and create. And there we have it. A metaphor, a poem and a life that have come through cancer and have come through fire. If you would like to share similar creative responses that have inspired you, please send them in to foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk, which is also where you can direct any other suggestions, feedback or questions. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Friends of Anchor podcast, and please do join us again next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 